Uh, well, some of you are going, that's not Pastor Tim. Uh, or is it? No, you're correct. That is not, this is not Pastor Tim. My name is uh, Jordan. I'm one of the assistant pastors here at Meadowbrook. Actually, Pastor Tim is away right now at school. Uh, as many of you know, he is uh, working on his doctorate right now. Uh, so he is away for the week. And so you definitely want to be here Sunday because I don't know if you ever noticed, if he misses a message, like it's just fired up inside of him and Sunday is just killer. So uh, make sure you're here for Sunday. We're in a series called uh, Home Remedies. Have you guys been enjoying that series? That's been amazing. Been amazing. Well, I have the honor and privilege of being the C20 pastor uh, here at Meadowbrook. Uh, for those of you who don't know, C20 is our college and young adults uh, ministry. You know, one of the things I love about Pastor Tim is that he really has a vision for the next generation. That he believes that the next generation can be the future great generation. And so he pours into, he invests into what he sees as this is going to be the church. And so I get the privilege of really working with our young adult uh, ministry. We uh, meet the first and third Friday of every single month for a service um, similar to this. A lot of energy, uh, preaching, and, and the word, and uh, worship. And then we also have a lot of different events that we do. And the reason why I, I mention that is because there are often times where I'm walking through the halls, and I'm talking with someone, and they've been here for six months, and they have no idea. Well, you guys have a college ministry? <laughs> yeah, we do. Um, or I'll, I'll meet a college student, even, who's been here for a couple months, and he had no idea that there was something that was geared towards him. And so we just have two things to really ask of you all. One is that you'd be praying for us. Our, our next-gen pastor, uh, Tom Fox, you'll, you'll see him up here on occasionally. One of the things he says is this. He says, whoever wants the next generation the most will get them. And we want the next generation, whether that's a junior high student, a high school student, a college student. So please be, be praying for us. But also, please get the word out. Let people know that there is a college ministry, young adult ministry at Meadowbrook. And you may say, well, uh, I'm not in college, and 20 was a while ago. <laughs> but you know what? You know someone who is in college or in their 20s. And if you don't know someone, you probably know somebody who knows somebody who's in their 20s. Or in college, and it never hurts to ask because we want to do all that we can to see college students and young adults engaged with the gospel. Amen? Amen. Well, we are in a season on Wednesday night called what? Believe. 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 And, and the idea of this series is really this uh, the heart of our pastor is what would it look like for us to really have a developed biblical worldview? So we've been kind of spending this year, and the dedication has been on looking at doctrine, looking at theology, looking at what the Bible says about God. Because the reality of it is, every single one of us in this room right now, we are a theologian. Whether you think that or not, you are a theologian. Here's why. All a theologian is, is somebody who thinks thoughts about God. That's all a theologian is. And so what we want to get into and really ask the question of, are we thinking good and correct thoughts about God? And that really is the idea of this series on Believe, that we would take a whole year dedicated to developing our biblical worldview. So you guys ready to jump in? Yep. Awesome, awesome. Um, have you ever had something in life, and after a while, you realized you were using it wrong? Like you bought something, you were up late, and there was an infomercial for the ninja or whatever, and like you purchase one, and you get it, and it's not what you expected, and like you can't figure it out, and like you're having a lot of trouble, and you're just thinking to yourself, that there's got to be more to this. And like someone comes around and goes, um, you had it upside down. But we've all, we've all had that experience, whether it was an electronic device, a tool, some cooking appliance, where we were just using it wrong. Uh, this past week, my wife and I, Carissa, we were talking about some of our worst moments. 
Some of the worst moments we've had where we were missing out on the potential of something. Uh, Carissa's first one that she shared uh, came from when she was 10 years old. When she was 10 years old, her, uh, her dad was away on a business trip for a couple weeks. And her mom, in the story, when she told me, she said, my mom was 10 months pregnant. Now, I, I know I'm a man. I don't know a lot about pregnancies, but I don't think. She's like, no, 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 seven months. She was seven months. Because that's 10 months. That's going to be a big baby. Um, but she was seven months pregnant, okay? And they were living in Florida. And as we all are, and if you know anything about Florida grass, what happens? It grows and grows. It doesn't quit. Okay, so this is the middle of summer, and it's just growing like they can't even see over their house. So uh, Carissa, uh, being the 10-year-old, oldest sibling, says, Mom, I want to I mow the lawn for you. I want to mow the lawn for you. Well, um, they had a self-propelled mower. And um, if you know anything about self-propelled mowers, if you're not pressing the self-propelled lever, it is like pushing a cart where the wheels are locked down. Well, (laughs) 10-year-old her didn't know that. And so she's just trying to push this self-propelled mower, but she's not holding down the lever. It literally took her three uh, three hours to mow about 25 square feet. Since then, she has never once picked up the mower again. Um, and then I, so we're talking, and I'm like, well, I, I think I have one that's a little bit worse than that. Uh, I, am, I am finishing up my uh, master's right now. I have, I have two classes and a, and a thesis left. Um, but when I first started a couple years ago, it had been a couple years that I was out of school. And so I started my first class, and uh, they gave you essentially a study sheet. And what it was was 150 pages that went along with the lectures, and you had to highlight, underline, make notes, answer questions, etc., etc. Well, when I got the file, I, I, I couldn't write on it. There was nothing I could do with it. So in order to highlight and answer all the questions, I retyped. Yeah, 150 pages. So 40 hours later, <laughs> I, and I, I became a quick typer, though. Uh, but 40 hours later, I, um, I'm finishing up my class and I, and I look in, at the top of the, of the file, there's a button and I press the button and literally everything I needed to do was right there. But Carissa's looking at me and she's laughing and she's like, that's, that's pretty bad, but I can beat it. I'm like, you, you can beat that? She's like, yeah, yeah, I, I can beat it. Uh, she said, when I first got my car... She didn't know how to work the AC. Now, in, in your car, you have the knob for how cold or how hot you want it. But then you also have the AC button. She didn't know that existed. So she would get in her car. She would have it on cold, full blast. And it's just this hot, like sticky, like humid air blowing on her. It's the middle of summer. And so she gets out of her car and her friend's like, did you just come from the gym? Yeah, let's... Let's go with that. I just came from the gym. Yeah, yeah, I just came from the gym. And so I guess like as, as summer was ending, she was just sitting in her car and she out of curiosity pressed the button and it was like unicorns and rainbows and the Shekinah glory of God like fell down on her car because suddenly she realized this is what I've been missing out. And you know what? We all have stories like this, right? And some of you are probably thinking right now, Jordan, <laughs> those stories are nothing compared to what I've done. Well, we've all had these stories where we were missing out on the capability of something. Whether it was an electronic device, lawn equipment, the AC button on our car, regardless, we've had this experience where we were not fully tapping into the potential that lay in front of us, where we were missing out on the power and the freedom that this thing could have been given us. 
So we're in a series called Believe, and the topic that I've kind of been assigned and pushed towards is this, talking about the idea of being born again. And in theological terms, this is called regeneration. And I think for some of us, we're not fully tapping into what it means to be born again. As Christians, we're born again, we're made new, and this should have profound implications on our lives. But some of us, we're pushing a self-propelled life. Some of us, we don't have the AC on, and we're not living into what it means to be born again. And so the title of my message tonight is this, it's the good life. It's the good life. What does it look like for you and I to live the good life? And the idea that we're going to dive into tonight is this, that to live the good life starts with us fully understanding what it means to be born again. What it means that God has made us new, that he's given us a new reality, a new life, a new joy, and a new freedom to walk out. And man, to be honest with you, I'm very excited about this message because I believe with everything inside of me that there are people in this room tonight who are going to experience a revolution in their life because they're going to experience what it means to truly walk out being born again, that this powerful act of regeneration that's meant to be life-changing that we're going to, if we haven't already, walk in and experience that tonight. And that can be you. In a room like this, we are all over the map. Some of us love Jesus, and we know what it means to, to be born again. But then some of us, maybe we grew up in the church, we know when to clap, we know when to say amen, we can find the book of Leviticus. But we've never really walked into what it means to be born again. And then some of us in here, we're new to the faith. We're still trying to figure out and uncover who Jesus is. But regardless of where you land, I really believe that God wants to do something in your life during this message. And all he's asking of you is to show up. Not just literally sitting in those seats, but to show up with the intent and understanding of God tonight. I am going to get something from your word. So let's get into kind of what it means to be born again. Uh, Being born again is an act of God. It is where God takes something dead and he makes it alive. It is one of the greatest miracles that the creation has ever witnessed because God produces a new life in man. And being born again is not something that we're called to take lightly because God, God does something miraculous in our lives where we cross from death into life. And when we become born again, this affects every single aspect of our lives. You see, before you and I are Christians, we are at enmity against God. We may not think that. Maybe we thought we were a fairly good person. Maybe we felt like we didn't do a lot of bad things. But the reality of it is, before Christ steps into our life, we're living in opposition to him. Because we're living as our own Lord. We have made our own reason the rationale for everything. And whether we frame it like this or not, when we decide to live outside of God's rule, we are simultaneously declaring ourselves as the God of our lives. But something incredible happens when we're born again. You see, before we're born again, every single part of us is depraved. Nothing is left untouched. Our will, our mind, our emotions. Now, this doesn't mean we're as bad as we could be. It just means nothing is left unmarred by sin. But when we're born again, there's this transformation that happens to every single aspect of our being. That when we become believers in Christ, we become completely new people. Now, not partially new. Not, hey, I got a new paint job on a crummy car new. But you and I become completely new. Something down to the very core of who we are changes when we become born again. 
And sometimes it's, it's difficult for us to see because the change is invisible. Wouldn't it be awesome if when you became born again, like all of a sudden you were like super buff, tall. Um, in my case, I would just want to be not so pasty. Maybe, maybe be a little tanner. It'd be nice if, if that's how it was because a physical transformation is so vivid. It's obvious. Like, it's apparent to everyone. And maybe you remember uh, having a friend in high school, and then you don't see him for a couple years, and all of a sudden they're, like, tall and handsome, and you're like, where was he in high school? Um, or you've had this experience where you haven't seen a friend in a while, and all of a sudden they've lost all this weight. Now, although there's not this physical transformation when we're born again, please, please get this. The change that happens inside of us is even more miraculous than that. Because God transforms every single part of us. And again, theological terms, this is called regeneration. That God makes a renewed person. And so the intent of this message is really this, that to live the good life, to understand what the good life is about, we have to walk out what it means to be born again. We have to get into the implications of regeneration. What does it mean that God has given me a new will, a new emotions, a new desire, a new heart? What does it mean to leave the land of the dead? And become alive in Christ. You know, this message has really been on my heart for a while. Because here's what I've realized. So many people that I encounter on a day-to-day basis are not living the good life because they don't walk out what it means to be born again. They don't see that being born again is so much bigger than not going to hell. It's bigger than just going to heaven. And too often what we do is we stop, we set up camp, and we celebrate the fact that we're going to heaven. And we should. But it doesn't end there. We can't stop there. God has an even greater plan for us. Because if that was true, if that was all that mattered, then as soon as you were saved, you'd be sucked up. You'd be gone. You wouldn't still be here. But God wants to do more. And I think the big challenge for us is that we have to realize the potential that God places inside of us when we are born again. To recognize that God changes every single part of our lives, even the difficult parts, even the hard parts, even the parts that we don't think he can redeem. He is in the process of redeeming because that's what happens when you become born again. And so I've been praying that this message would be a game changer for you, that this truth would help propel you into seeing what God wants to do in your life. And so really the big idea of tonight is this, just a question. Are you living into what it means to be born again? And I'd ask that even if you say, well, I'm always in church, I'm very involved, will you, will you look at that question with fresh eyes? And, and ask God, ask yourself, ask the Holy Spirit, am I really living into what it means to be born again? If you have your Bibles, let's open up to John 3. Uh, John 3, uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 8. John 3, uh, 1 through 8. And we would encourage you to take notes, uh, not because there's a test at the end of this night, or maybe there is. Uh, but no, notes are a way for us to really track with uh, what is being said. Again, the title of my message is The Good Life. The Good Life. So, uh, John 3, 1 through 8, it says this. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. And Jesus answered him and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? 
And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, this is a very famous story in the book of John. It is Jesus interacting with one of the head Pharisees. And and before we kind of unpack this story, I want us to consider something. There are certain traits that should define the people of God. There are certain traits that someone should be able to say, that person right there, because of X, is a believer. One of those traits has to do with our identity. As a Christian, our primary identity is that we are children of God. Our identity is not in our career. It's not in how much we make a year. It's not in our looks. It's not in in our hobbies. It's none of those things. It's not how well we run our family. It's not how well we do anything. Our primary identity is that we are adopted sons and daughters of God. Our identity is in Christ. As Christians, we should be known for infectious joy. Like if joy is the flu, hachoo, like we should be getting other people sick. Because nobody has a reason to be happy. No one has a reason to be joyful like Christians do. There's not a place for miserable Christians. That doesn't really exist. As Christians, we should be known for generosity. That we live with open hands. Because God has been so generous to us. And tonight I want us to consider another idea on that point. And the trait is this. That you and I believe the best of people. That you and I believe the best people. That when we see someone else, we believe the best about them. Now, I'm not saying if you have a friend who always wants to borrow money, you should just keep giving him money. It's dumb. Um, that's, not, that's not what I'm saying. But here's what I am saying. It's been said that Christians are, are judgmental people. Uh, maybe you've been called judgmental. Uh, maybe before you were a Christian, you called Christians judgmental. Or maybe you're like me and you've experienced the judgment of other Christians. Hello. But I really believe that a defining trait for Christians is not that we're judgmental, but that we believe the best of people. Even if they don't believe it themselves, we believe it because we know the power of Christ is stronger than anything else. And so here's the connection for us tonight. Uh, This story is about the interaction between a Pharisee named Nicodemus and Jesus. Now, for most of us, when we read Pharisee in the Bible, we do this in our mind. We think Pharisee, bad guy, Jesus, good guy. Like if I had an old school flannel graph up here, you'd be able to put the Pharisee with the unhappy face and Jesus next to the the smiley face. But the Pharisee is not always the bad guy. And as we go through the story of Nicodemus, what we're going to find is that he's actually a good guy with honest and real questions. And I know this is a little bit of a side note from talking about being born again, and I realize that. But I think it's so important. Because one of the things that so quickly uh, limits those around us is that we're often too quick to judge rather than quick to give out grace and believe the best. And when you're born again, you don't need to judge. Because the reason we judge others is we want to feel better about ourselves. But if our whole identity is wrapped up in Jesus, then we don't need to judge. We just need to look towards Jesus. And our hope for Meadowbrook is this, that we would be a community that not just inside these four walls, but when you're out at Sam's Club in those nasty lines, or you're out at Walmart and none of the cashiers are open, that you're still walking in a sense of love, in a sense of grace, in a sense of mercy. So back to the story. Nicodemus, he comes to Jesus by night. And you're like, gotcha, he came by night, he's a coward. 
But the, the text doesn't say that. In fact, I think the text says quite the opposite. Uh, most of your translations, if you open up to John 3, 1, back to where we started, it says something like this. It says, now there was a man, or it says, and there was a man. Most of your translations probably read that. But another way of translating it would be this, but there was a man. Now you're probably thinking, who cares? <laughs> but actually it makes a really big difference. And to kind of understand the, the difference it makes, we need to go back to John 2. The last two verses of John 2, which come before John 3, 1, they say this. They say, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So notice now how important this but is. Jesus is essentially saying, I didn't trust other people, but I trust Nicodemus. Now, because of being a Pharisee, we often throw Nicodemus under the bus, but what Jesus is about to do is to entrust him with the revelation of being born again. He doesn't explain this amazing truth to his disciples. He doesn't explain it first to the crowds. He chooses to share it with a Pharisee because Jesus sees something in Nicodemus that you and I may have missed. And there are people all around us with potential laying inside of them. And the question for us is, are we seeing with eyes like Jesus or are we quick to judge? You know, it's interesting to note Nicodemus, he's a Pharisee and the Pharisees are the ones who killed Jesus. But one of the ways we translate Nicodemus' name is innocent blood. Innocent blood. And there are also two men who bury Jesus when he dies. One was Joseph. The other was Nicodemus. And so I believe the reason he came at night was not because he was a coward, but it was because he wanted Jesus to himself. He had questions to ask, and he wanted Jesus to have time to answer them. So what did he do? He waited patiently for Jesus. And when they first interact, uh, the first thing Nicodemus does is he affirms who Jesus is. He says, we know you're a teacher of God because no one can do what you do unless God is with them. And I love the way that Jesus, what Jesus does. Like Nicodemus is partly declaring who Jesus is, partly giving him a compliment. And uh, Jesus never responds how you think he would respond. Uh, And Jesus says this in John 3, 3. Uh, He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, at this point, Nicodemus was just kind of giving him a compliment. Like, he hadn't asked him a question. He was kind of like, um, you're awesome. You do these amazing miracles. Will you sign my scroll? Like, that's kind of how, how Nicodemus is, is coming into it, right? Like, that's, that's what his, his mind says. Like, whoa, whoa, Jesus, we got, we got deep real quick. Um, you see, Nicodemus didn't ask a question, but he did reveal a primary motive in coming to Jesus. The text says that Nicodemus said, we see these signs that you do. You see, many of the Jews were looking for signs. They were looking for physical manifestations. What they were expecting in their day is that the Messiah would come in, would defeat Rome, and they would rule. This is what was in their view. And Jesus sees this mode and he says, no, 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 it's not about signs. And he says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. All that you need, all that I need for life and godliness is found in the reality that we are born again. If you're a Christian here tonight, you don't need anything added to your faith. All you need is in Christ Jesus. And too often, we're looking for something else. We're looking for our own sign. We say there has to be more when what we really need to do is live into the reality that you and I are born again. You see, we're not that different from Nicodemus. In his mind, he had a view and expectation of what he thought the Messiah should be. The things he expected the Messiah to do. 
And too often we do the same thing. We have these expectations of what Jesus should do in our life, when he should do it, and how he should do it, instead of letting him do what he's already started inside of us. Because the reality of it is Jesus is working in ways in our life that are far beyond what we can understand. And too often we're looking for a formula. We're looking for Ikea directions. We're looking for a sign. Instead, what we get is not a formula. We get a person. We get Jesus. And Jesus is what Nicodemus needed. Jesus is what we need. And his grand entrance into our life is when we are born again. In the story, uh, Nicodemus responds to Jesus, honestly, (laughs) we would have responded. So you're telling me, Jesus, that I need to get back into my mother's womb. I mean, I've seen some big babies, but there's not 175-pound babies out there. As I was studying for this message, I was curious, like, what were some of the biggest babies in the world? And I want to show you a picture of the biggest baby from the past, like, 10 years. If we can throw the picture of of the baby up there. Yeah. So that on the left is a normal-sized baby, and on the right is Godzilla. Um, (laughs) Some of you ladies are like, that's not possible. That is physically not possible. Um, But so Jesus responds to him in verses uh, 5 through 8. We read it, but it's good to reread it. It says this in verses 5 through 8. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. You see, what Nicodemus was really looking for was a new religion. But what Jesus came to bring is a new life. And they are profoundly different. You see, Nicodemus should have understood that what Jesus was getting towards was conversion. But it never assumed, he never thought in his mind that a Jewish person would need to convert to the true faith. And some of us in here, maybe we're like Nicodemus. We've grown up in the church. We've sang the songs. We know how to work the Bible. We know when to amen. But we've never really lived into the reality of what it means to be born again. Maybe like Nicodemus, we're good people, we revere spiritual things, yet we've never really come to the end of ourselves. We've never really recognized our our sinfulness and desperately cried out, God, I need you. Because religion will not save you. Only Jesus can. And, And the good life is not about being as good as you can possibly be. It's about seeing our goodness in Jesus. Being saved is so much bigger than the fact that we said a prayer a long time ago. And now we have fire insurance and we're not going to hell. When you've decided to cross that line, there is a heart change. Your desires change. You see, salvation is not about not going to hell. It's about life in Christ. And this is the radical transformation that happens when we're born again. When we become a a Christian, it's so much bigger than, than just saying a sinner's prayer. It's so much bigger than an intellectual change of one moment I wasn't sure if Jesus was God and now I think he is. But it's a radical change. And when it happens, I mean, some of you may have felt it, but a lot of times we we don't feel it. But something happens inside. There's a shift in our heart and everything is different from that point on. Because at this point in time, Nicodemus would have been one of the most honorable, holy people in all of Jerusalem. He would have followed the law way better than any of us could. But Jesus is saying to him, your ability to keep the law and follow the rules is not going to save you or replace your need for new birth. You see, what Nicodemus needs and what we need is not more religion. What we need is new life. And only Christianity promises that. 
All of, the, all of the religions are about what you do for this God or these deities or trying to reach some enlightened place. But only Christianity is about a God who comes down to you and says, find new life in me. And the point of, of using this idea of birth is that birth creates something new. Now, Nicodemus was alive. He was breathing, thinking, moving. He was a human. Even as a human, he was made in the image of God. But Jesus reveals something to him that he could not see on his own that he was spiritually dead, a part of the spiritual unborn. And what he needed was not more religion. He had all the religion he needed. What he needed was more life. And this is what we need. We don't need more rules, more facts, more ideas. We don't need to do less bad things. What we need is to experience the new life that Jesus offers. And this is what Jesus came to do. He didn't come to give religious people more religion. He came to give dead people life. And so what I want to do for the rest of our our short time together is I want to talk about one implication of being born again that I think affects everything else. And we've hinted at it briefly, but it's this. Nothing is left untouched. When you're born again, everything in your life is affected. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Uh, When you become born again, you become a new creation. You see, what happens in the new birth is not kind of an improvement of your old nature, but it's the creation, creation of a brand new nature. Now, you're still you, but you're a redeemed version. You're a forgiven version. You're a cleansed version. Your personality doesn't change. If you were funny before you were saved, you'll still be funny afterwards. If you were witty before you were saved, you'll still be witty afterwards. What happens, though, is that has been renewed. That has been purified. And God brings healing to every single part of our lives. And so what I want to do is I want to end tonight by unpacking this idea of nothing is left untouched by looking at the four main areas that being born again changes us. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on these, and there are more as well, but this just kind of gives us a taste of what happens when we are born again. Uh, Who has ever fallen in love? Okay, hopefully a lot of you, um, some of you are like, oh man, are we in love? Is that the kind of stage that we're at right now? Is she going to raise her hand? Am I going to raise my hand? I'm sorry for putting on, you on the spot. Okay, I'm not sorry at all. Um, but, but if you're, yeah, yeah. Like my wife, I know she loves me because she got me a brand new pair of Jordans for Christmas, uh, Valentine's Day. If you don't know what those are, it's okay. Um, but when you're in love, man, you do stuff you don't normally do. Like who's ever done something and thought to yourself, if we weren't in love, there is no way I'd be doing that. Maybe you went antiquing with your wife. Got quiet. <laughs> maybe you watched hours of football with your husband. Ooh. Uh, maybe you fellas, you went to the movies and you sacrificed and watched a rom-com instead of Lone Survivor. Uh, I can remember being, uh, when we first got our home, uh, being in Home Depot with my wife and trying to pick out colors to paint our, uh, inside of our house. I never knew there was 17 different kinds of taupe. <laughs> if you're curious, we, end, we ended up with perfectly taupe. So, so why do we do it? Man, because our heart is bursting for that person. Our heart is passionate for them. We love them, so we do things for them. And when we're born again, God gives us a new heart. The Old Testament says we had a heart of stone. God has given us a heart of flesh. And with this new heart comes new desires. Now there are things that we want to do that we would have never done before. Why? Our desires have changed. Our heart has changed. Uh, maybe when you first became born again, you were really aware of this revelation. I was sitting with a guy recently who had, who had kind of recently gone through this conversion. And, and he said, you know, before I never would have read my Bible. And now I love it. 
I never would have served, and now I can't get enough. I desire to do it. My heart has changed. Because when you become a Christian, something changes inside. In the words of the Grinch, our heart grows three times that day. And so the first thing he does, he creates in us a new heart with new desires. And the second thing he does, he fixes our will. He fixes our will. Our will is our capacity to make decisions. It's also how we make ethical judgments. And so God fixes our will. He redirects our will. Our will's true desire now at its core is to serve him. And not only is it the desire there, but he gives us the power to enable us to choose what is good. But he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just give us a a consciousness of our sin. But he instills in us wisdom for life. He shows us how to find joy, how to find freedom, how to find peace as he guides us through his word. Our eyes have now been enlightened. Our will has changed that when we see the scriptures, we're not resistant, but we're in love with it. Doesn't mean we're perfect at it. We mess up all the time. But at our core, our will is changed. Next is that God transforms our mind. He gives us the mind of Christ. Our mind has been renewed. And regeneration is, again, is so much bigger than God saving you. It's the redemptive process of God making you whole. Because if your mind is full of guilt, God's provided freedom. If you live with a mind of judgment, God has provided freedom. If you live with a mind of worry, God has provided freedom. He's given us a new mind, a mind that is being led by Christ. The scripture says that we can now take every thought captive, that our mind has been renewed. And the last one I want to mention is this, is that God heals our emotions. God heals our emotions. Uh, Becoming born again doesn't make us more emotional. doesn't mean you'll become a Pentecostal. But nor does it make us less emotional. Rather, it directs our emotions to the right way. You see, emotions are beautiful because God has created us with emotions. And sometimes I see people, they get saved and they feel like they have to tone it down. But God has made you that way on purpose. If you're a a loud and charismatic person, if anything, the Christian faith should bring that out. Christians should be full of personality, full of life. You know, Pastor Tim says this for a while. He says, says, be you, but full of God. And here's what I've realized being in ministry for a few years Too many of us are living a turned-down Christian faith because we're not living into all it means to be born again. We don't realize that being born again should cause us to be the truest, most alive, and brightest us. God did not make you to be someone else. He made you to be the truest and purest you. But maybe we've bought into the lie that there wasn't a dramatic change that happened. Like we know we're going to heaven, but we kind of stop there. We don't realize what God has done inside. We don't realize that the greatest miracle that you and I will ever witness is not something done outside of us, but it is what God has done to us and what God has done in us. And our hope for you is that you would see the miraculous thing that God has done in each and every one of you. You may not feel it, And Satan wants you to think that nothing's really changed. And that's a lie. You're born again. You're created new. God is in the process of transforming every single aspect of you. There is not one part of you. There is not one square inch that God is not in the process of transforming. And to live the good life begins with you and I realizing all that God has done. 
It's realizing that this should cause in us to live with greater confidence, greater courage, and greater joy. Because we know God has worked out a miracle in us. The path, the trail, the elevator to the good life is living into the reality of what it means to be born again. Did y'all get anything out of this tonight?